James Joyce once said, there's no friends like the old friends. Well, today on the program, I have two old friends. They've known each other since they were six. That definitely puts them in the old friends category. They made music together as teenagers, and they're making music together again as uh, dignified adult human men. (laughs) Uh, Let's get to it. Oh, and by the way, they're Irish, so James Joyce would super approve. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. On a journey behind the sky, out by the western isles, through the waves and swept for miles, searching of my guests today on the program, David Long and Shane O'Neill. Let me tell you a little bit about David Long and Shane O'Neill. So yes, it's true. The Irish-born David Long and Shane O'Neill grew up together as kids, and they've been pals since they were six. They were in a band together as teenagers, then they went their separate ways, Long to Into Paradise and O'Neill to Blue in Heaven. Both, I should add, fabulous bands who put out a series of flawless albums. What did they sound like? Well, Into Paradise had all the delicious dark drama of, like, I don't know, Echo and the Bunnymen or The Sound. Meanwhile, Blue and Heaven, who were signed to U2's label before inking a deal with Island, kind of brought to mind a jittery and sort of adrenalized blend of, say, Joy Division and the Triffids. Again, Both great bands with bulletproof discographies. Look them up. In the late 90s, the two friends reconnected under the moniker Supernaut, and now they're collaborating again, and arguably making the most urgent and stirring work of their careers. Look no further than their new EP, Age of Finding Stars. It's a riveting blend of dramatic soundscapes juxtaposed with introspective lyrics and stirring vocals. I love what these guys are doing. It's infectious and thoughtful and decidedly moving work. And I love this conversation. It's loose and fun, and I wish we could have just kept talking. You'll see what I mean. And these guys only live an hour away from each other, so listen to me give them grief about not hanging out in person. But that's okay. They're busy making great music, so a pint or two or three can wait. But I'll keep you waiting no longer. Here's my conversation with David Long and Shane O'Neill. Right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast.
I've been listening to a lot of micro Disney lately because with the passing of uh, of Mr. Coughlin, did you did you guys know him at all? Did you travel in the same circles? I I, I didn't know him personally at all. Um, but one of the first gigs uh, myself and Shane went to see. I, well, you know, at that time was the original micro Disney who played in um, the uh, the uh, the Magna Bar in Pierce Street. And I always loved the name Micro Disney. I thought it was a great name. And I think then myself and Shane went to see them um, supporting uh, supporting Susie and the Banshees in the Stella Cinema. Do you remember that, Shane? I don't think I went to that. No, you didn't. I, I, I remember to... seeing them uh, seeing them in the Magnet. Yeah, with Gertie yeah. playing guitar. Uh, this fella, he he left the band. He psychedelic guitar. He used to wear a knotty holder from Slade hat with. With sort of silver things on it, and uh, it was just an amazing sound, very, very psychedelic. And um, we saw the last gig as well, they played in the Magnus, <clears throat> yeah, about yeah. a couple of weeks later. That's the only time I've seen them. And then they yeah. went to England. I totally, you know, I lost touch I, totally. Then I think, I think we, I think it was you who, who came with me to see them in the Stella supporting. Remember, uh. We were sitting in a seat and Dave Fanning and Ian Wilson were at the end of it. I'm really sure that was you. We went because we went, we, we thought they were so good in the Magnus. We went to see that gig. But funny enough, I was just, I've been listening to the Telefis album, you know, and uh, mm. that song, Fallen Gong Dancer, it's just, I, I just love it. Like, um, I was just listening to it here before we came on. I love the last line, um, the, the, the last two lines in it are just fantastic. It's kind of vulnerable and, it's just piano and him singing. It's it's kind of like a goodbye or something. It's absolutely gorgeous, you know. Um, and I never heard him really sing with that sort of um kind of uh, yeah. I was pretty amazed. I was on some radio show. I was amazed at this power of his voice. Yeah, absolutely beautiful and gorgeous. You know, I think it's something he says. Um, oh, the last two lines in Bong Gone Dancer are brilliant. Now the the remix is good as well for 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 other reasons, for kind of musical reasons with Jaw Wobble, but the the one on the album is like, uh, oh, it's just fantastic, fantastic song. Yeah, I've, every time I talk to a, a musician from Ireland, everyone seems to kind of either know each other or they were adjacent to each other. America's so big, we don't get that. I mean, sometimes you get it, but it feels to me like there's a little, a little more closeness with the the artistic community in Ireland. I don't know, is that a is that perception right, or do you think that's a romantic idea? Absolutely, yeah, of course, yeah. It's be like somewhere, just be like an area around Washington or something, or around one, you know, it's such a small community. I mean, the community of people that might play music are a lot smaller than the actual, you know, the whole, the whole of Ireland, you know, there's only a few little places. I mean, there's more now, but certainly back then there wouldn't have been, we started out probably the eighties, you know, so uh, there wasn't huge, there was just sectors of a few, like you'd suddenly hear somewhere in, Oh, it's only Limerick is only coming up now, like really, you know, maybe not 10 years, maybe let's say I'm talking about <laughs> showing my age now, but um, <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. And also, I mean, it's one of the things you realize after a while, you can have a career in the States because it's so big, you can tour, like you can go from one area to the next area and back again and continue building, you know, you just don't have that ability here in Ireland you can't you can't do it it's not possible you have to become you have to break out and go into England for instance that's the main way of doing it so it kind of creates a different ladder for a band to ascend 
you know in the states you can become good by you know just setting up and starting to get in a van and just go around and tour and start playing and keep going keep going keep going i don't know how actually i don't know if that's still the case now but certainly used to be the case and then there was later on there was this kind of underground circuit that you know i heard about in the 90s i worked with some bands that would get into it you know you could plug into somewhere in new york and he would tell you about somewhere else in atlanta and then he would you know and you'd you could sort of move around a little bit and there was these little uh the uh, college kind of things, little college circuit that was kind of built up around. And, you know, that would foster a certain type of attitude as well. You know, there's nothing like that really in Ireland. You don't have that, you know, you don't, you, you couldn't exist, you know, uh, just playing to people here in Ireland. It wouldn't work, you know? Yeah, this is a very American question, but I was looking up a couple of years ago, what happened to the, to the singer of the commitments, because for us, that movie was really quite, kind of big in America, but we never heard from that guy again. And I looked him up, and it turns out he's huge in Ireland. But what? But what does that actually mean? If you, with based on what you're saying, can you, can you or can you not be like big in Ireland? Because evidently he has quite a career over there. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, if you know, when the small, if you've only got a small population, you've kind of got to be more in the middle. You understand? Mm. Like you couldn't, you can't really be. So I mean, I suppose. You know, in the 60s and 70s bands, the Irish bands would be like cabaret bands. They would be sort of the show band stuff. And that's a way of moving in and capturing a certain, you know, and you, you can go and uh, go to these, you know, this big sort of, uh, they used to be called disco really, but they're not really, but big kind of uh, barns ballrooms. out in the back. <laughs> ballrooms, yeah, big ballrooms. Ballrooms. Yeah. And you, I mean, that's what you'd have to do. You'd have to cater to that audience. In the States, I suppose it's so big that you can have a niche kind of thing and travel around to different small audiences within that niche and not have to change. You know, the guy from The Commitments has a fantastic, unbelievable voice. You know, it's so strong. But that, uh, that immediately then sets you into a certain style. It's very hard to break out of that, you know, and, and sort of capture the attention. If you're from Ireland, the way to get out is to get like English or sometimes an American record label. And they're not really going to sign something like that. You know, he would have had to, in the States, he could have built up like, what's that band Hootie and the Blowfish or something like that. He could have built up a large audience by being very, very good at what he did. But here in Ireland, it's not really going to, to get out from where you are in Ireland. You have to have a certain kind of stance, if you like. Do you know what I'm saying? So you have to have a certain, you know, it takes a certain energy to come out. And um, it's very hard to do that when you're, you know, a bit more mainstream, maybe. Have you guys, have you adjusted your ambitions? So like when you think back to the 80s when you're recording and you think like, um, you know, we're, this is the hope and the dream for the project. Um, if you sort of juxtapose that with now, when you're creating what you're creating, do you has the sort of mission statement of of what you're hoping will happen? Has that you know adjusted or changed? I mean, no. I mean, I, I no. Uh, uh, basically, the only way to kind of sell records now or to get onto that thing is to play live. You know. To go from city to city, country to country, keep on doing it and doing it and doing it. And I personally don't have any interest in actually doing that. Um, uh, 
And I don't know what the ambition was when I started. It was just to make a noise and make something good and make something that I liked. Do you know, it was just about being creative. And it's kind of still like that. Do you know, the more I look at it, it's like, I don't, I don't know even why we bother doing it. It's just something that we do. Do you know, I mean, I don't really have any ambition of for any anything. I mean, it doesn't get played in the radio. Very few people listen to it. It's like that writer from Limerick called uh, Adrian. Oh, what's his name? Uh, Adrian Collins, I think his name was. It. Somebody said to him in a pub, um, what do you do? He goes, I, I, I write novels that nobody reads, you know. I release records and nobody listens to. I can't, oh, Adrian Higgins was his name. He's kind of friends with Beckett as well. And it's kind of like that. You just keep on making noises until eventually you're really happy with something, you know, till you get a coherent album that you that you really like. And then you just put it out there and then go on to the next, you know. And I always leave, I have a machine where I listen to all the new stuff on, but I always leave, for some reason, two tracks off the last album on the machine where the new songs new songs are and they're always they're, they're usually the kind of weirder ones so the, on the last album age of final stars the two songs that i've left on it are night poets of beijing and enter the heart and it's gone and on the Mollen Zeiss album the two songs i left on it were uh, earth moves and uh, in in out and then eventually those two songs will be taken off the machine and then it's just all the new stuff and that's the way i work i don't know how it works for shane but as as regards ambition it's just to make something kind of beautiful that I like. Yeah, and, I think and, that it's like going back. I think what you said there is it's like going back to the very start for me, like when I very first started playing. And at some way along the road of playing, it became obvious that you, you have to do a certain thing. You have to, you have to, you have to, you know, you have to score a certain goal, if you like, along the way. And, and after a while, I think definitely with, with me anyway, it became the thing that became the goal, you know, rather than, so doing this now is like going back to trying to hunt for those little moments when maybe what you're playing is out of tune or something, or there's something in it that just comes out and you're just interested in it and you just follow it down, you know? And so for me, it's very freeing like that. I've no, I mean, to be brutally honest, I think when we did the first album, Marlon's Ice, I wasn't really expecting anything. Dave put it out, and then I was a bit disappointed that we didn't get any notice at all. So we started doing a bit of work on it, and then suddenly we got quite a lot of notice. Uh, and then when that stopped, then I began to feel, <laughs> you know, so I've kind of been up and down on it, you know, I really don't care. And then I started to care, you know, I started wondering why are we not getting radio play? Right. You know, and that went on for about two weeks. Uh, I don't know exactly, but let's say something a very short time, but enough for me to notice it and sort of go, oh my God, this is, you know, I don't like this. Uh, but then I suppose in some kind of weird way, it becomes rolled in again into some kind of, in other words, there is always, you know, now we're, writing, we're doing a new album and I'm trying to make it clearer. Okay, so this is how I look upon it now. So I'm trying to make it like I know that the songs at the moment, the way they are, they're very full, they're, they, you know, because they've got maybe two or three guitars or, you know, there's in order to create the sound and the soundscape 
that we kind of that we're both kind of interested in. It has loads of maybe stray stuff in it. So now I'm trying to cut it all out and can I get down? And then when if then I'm thinking in my head, I'm thinking, and when I get it down, I'm going to record one version of that guitar track and I'm going to have it loud. You know, I'm not going to have it. You know, which is then reminds me of working with producers, you know, when they would try to hone down what you were doing into that. And I kind of enjoy that. I'm, I feel that I'm on that little road, if you understand what I'm trying to say there. So I am trying to make it better. But I mean, Dave is dead right. As to the end result, uh, I would love if someone, you know, I mean, it did happen actually with the last album, unexpectedly. We got quite a sort of some people that we would really respect and reviewers that we would really respect came out and said some very nice things about the album. And the funny thing was that it really spurred me on to do more. <laughs> it really did made me feel like, uh, I don't know, I just, it's, it's, it's the thing that got a bit simpler for me. You know, it became down to more like, okay, um, and that's really fun, you know. And the main thing about it is, 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 is that, is to, is to try and get it so that those little moments that you hear, you know, often when we're working, especially when we started, I'd remember listening to magazine, or I'd remember listening to Echo and the Bunnymen's first album, or you know, those odd moments. You think, what is that? <laughs> what is where did that music come from? Um, and I like kind of going back to that space. I really do. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, for 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 for, for sure. Like, I mean, all, all those bands that we used to listen to, you know, when we were young and starting a band. Like, for instance, in in the in the kitchen in my house, um, I've I've a I've a a, a, a poster. Well, it's 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 the cover of uh, Atmosphere, the twelve inch that Shane bought in Golden Discs and brought it back to our houses to play to us. Mm -hmm. And I have I I don't have the the actual record inside it, but I have the Atmosphere thing up on a up and framed in the kitchen, you know, and it still has the golden disc uh, sticker 199. But it's still my ultimate, like, no one has, has bettered as a 12 inch single, has bettered the whole, the whole sound and the brilliance of atmosphere by Joy Division, you know. And it's that excitement when you hear those. Um, it always reminded me of Christmas because Shane bought it at Christmas time. And just the synths that, uh, that Hannah has in the background and and Barney has in the background. It's just, a, it's just an amazingly, beautifully produced record, you know, and it couldn't have been produced by anyone else other than Hannah. And that's that's really what I think myself and Shane are going for. Like, for instance, you know, the albums you used to listen to were like uh, Echo and the Bunny Man, uh, Heaven Up Here. Now, we're not trying to copy them or whatever, but it gave us a buzz, you know, magazine. There's so many of those bands, you know, and it's so we're, we're really just trying to make a, a, a kind of art works of art that that we that we really like and enjoy doing you know it's also remarkable to think about joy division or echo and the bunnymen they were they were pretty fully formed pretty young which is you know and i love how that's informing uh, we are all men of a certain age um without getting too specific and yeah. it, in, it's informing it's informing you now at this point in your career uh, says a lot about the, the strength and the sort of um, out of the box brilliance of that of that early work, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, the, the Echo and the Bunny Man, they were kind of fully formed with, with the first album. I mean, the lyrics and stars, stars are stars. I mean, there's so many good lyrics that he had had written. Joy Division, I mean, Ian Curtis's lyrics were astounding. And if you read them by themselves, they're just astounding lyrics, you know. 
but they, they they were brilliant, you know. I mean, Echo and the Bunny, I mean, uh, Joy Division had it for two albums, complete consistency. Echo and the Bunny Men had two albums, as far as I'm concerned. That was uh, Crocodiles and Heaven Up Here. After that, I thought they kind of, lo- they had a few singles, you know, and they had obviously The Killing Moon. I got my 21st birthday party in a pub in Dublin. And the only reason I had it in that pub is because they had a jukebox with Killing Moon on it that I wanted to play 20 times. Do you know, that's how much the song meant to me, you know. They were brilliant. Um, yeah, they were fully formed, just like uh, maybe Paul Weller, All Mod Cons, great lyrics. And, you know, it took myself and Shane much longer, much longer. Like we were, um, we had the music and we had the melodies, but the lyrics was something that really took us a while. I think the last two records are probably some of the best lyrics the two of us have done, you know, at the grand old age of whatever, do you know? So we're still trying. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's funny. I just interviewed Graham Parker and he said something that I thought was interesting because Graham's, Graham's probably early 70s. And he right. said that he has this sneaking suspicion. He's trying to prove it wrong that you can't write a masterpiece after 30. <laughs> which, you know, it's a, it's a theory. And, um, you know, but, but, but here you are after 30, maybe making arguably the best work of your career, which I think is pretty cool. I think it's true. Yeah. I think what he's saying, what he, I mean, if you think about it though, you know, to be a masterpiece, you need a lot of stuff in there and it's kind of overused. And I think he's right because after 30, no one's going to notice you anyway. You know, there's a certain energy. I mean, most bands, that any of us are talking about are all young you know how is that like how, how did that happen well that's because I, in my mind it's because there's a whole zeitgeist around bands and energy around it you know i've noticed from people that contact me that would have liked my old band you know i wouldn't have the same reverence they would have for certain tracks and things like that and that's because i wasn't young brought up on that i didn't i didn't i didn't have a date out in the field or do some kind of a drinking session or whatever they did when when you know when they came to one of my gigs and had that experience and that experience is now rolled up with that music so you know i mean it's unrealistic to expect us to, for me, myself and Dave to expect to get any kind of interest around. I mean, what are we going to? You know, there's there's a whole element, there's a whole business element that's missing as well <laughs> in terms of invest. You know, so there's, but at the same time, I mean, take someone like Bob Dylan, right? Just go right into actual genius now, into real, you know, masterpiece. Mm. Someone who really does make. So I mean, I have lost interest in what he was doing. I don't know how many years ago. But there's a huge legion of fans that like, and some of my friends like every album he's ever done. You know what I mean? And some of they might like some of his later albums, the one that's done in the last 10 years as, as being absolutely, you know, and um, so, but it's a different audience. It doesn't excite the same. It doesn't work the same. It is, it is, it's more reflective. The fans of that type of music, there's a guy, I don't know if you know, Brent Talon from Revelino. He's a he's an amazing Irish musician, and he's a re- really gifted musician and a gifted songwriter. And he loves Bob Dylan. And I remember, you know, when he told me that he likes like the later all these. I said, you couldn't like that, the, the Christian kind of stuff and all. That. And he says, no, I love it. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he likes all of it. And because uh, he he's a fan of lyrics, he's a fan of that type of music. He's not particularly a fan of, you know, tight trousers, long coat. 
you know, Manchester afternoon black and white photos on a bridge in the snow or whatever it is, you know, for some reason, myself and Dave, <laughs> we've kind of got hooked on that quite a bit. There's something about it, you know, um, but I mean, I also like for me, you know, some producers, early producers like that did, um, you know, like Shell Tell Me and stuff like that. And, you know, I, I, be I became back in doing stuff and back in music because I, I was kind of interested that and it ties in with the David Byrne book on music. I don't know if you've read that book yeah. where he talks about music as, you know, the architecture of where you're right playing the music kind of can, 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 you know, give emphasis or change and that, you know, and he was talking about MP3s as well. And I remember thinking, listening back to say Wild Thing by the Trogs or You Really Got Me by, you know, the Kinks. There's just such an energy on those tracks for me. Like I literally, you know, or what's that route, you know, the uh, Modern Lovers, you know, that song, Roadrunner, you know? Roadrunner, yeah. yeah. Now there's some, and there's, you know, different versions of Roadrunner. So that's kind of a good, a good example. There's one version though, that I just love. And if you play me the wrong one, I'll go, no, no, that's not the one, you know? And so what is it, what is it? What is it that makes that track so interesting to me? And I've realized that Sometimes I might think it's a piano. It might be a piano. It might be something else. I don't know what is doing it actually. And there's just it is. It's a sound is just made. And so you know, I'm tired of kind of musician. I was working musicians. I say we'd have to put a cello on it. We have to put a piano on it. We have to have this sound. And I'd be saying why? Like you know. So I, when I came through that, it was kind of like, well, I could do anything. I could combine any instrument, and you can do it now digitally. And that's how I became interested in recording music again because I realized, oh, you could do. You, know, you could mix anything. I can make any kind of mess of a sound. Or, or actually, what happens quite a lot is I'm working on a sound and I loop it and do something with it. And suddenly it sounds like, <laughs> and I change what I'm doing. And that becomes the thing. I send it to Dave. Dave doesn't say to me, is that a piano or is that a cello? <laughs> he just says, I like that. Or he says, no, no, you know, I prefer the other one. And we just go like that. So where it ties in with the David Byrne thing is, I've been watching a lot, quite a lot of his stuff with Eno and that lately, and the interviews are so interesting, the two of them, so smart, you know? And I've kind of realized, my God, some of what we're doing now is just rehashing what they did in the 80s, whereby they just loop stuff around and then, you know, except we're not using African and voices and stuff like that. We're just using ourselves. Quite a lot of the songs have come, well, I mean, you know, the songs that were written, but there's quite a few songs that have come about through some kind of weird thing whereby if you're just freely messing with stuff and discarding or not even discarding, but just moving on to the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and just working on the little bit that you like and going, that's a little weird little bit there. <laughs> I like that. And then expanding it out and seeing does it work. And I might send that to Dave and then he would suddenly just send me back a new vocal on top of this thing. And then that becomes the song, you know? So I'm really in, I'm, that's where I take the impetus from. I, I love the idea that the technology can set you free, you can do it. We do our own video stuff as well. I mean, not very well, but we still do that because I just like the idea of being able to do it, being self-sufficient. We can just do it out. We can just do our own photos. We can do everything and sort of make out a little, little cottage industry, a creative cottage thing on our own, you know? But I mean, actually, so I think the top... 
Sorry, I was just thinking there, like the age thing, talking about the, you know, the difference in it. It's it's a bit like, you know, when Bob Dylan in Chronicles, when he said that, uh, when he was going on about writing Time Out of Mind, and he said, uh, he was writing all these lyrics down and putting them in a drawer out in the shed, you know, the next song. He said, if it had been the old days, he would have been ringing up the manager, quick, get the recording studio, get the musicians. He wouldn't be able to sleep until these songs were recorded because he'd feel that they're going to go. They're not going to be ever recorded. Whereas in that age that he was, in time out of mind, he was going, feck it. If they're recorded, they're recorded. If they're not, I've done enough stuff. So I'm not too bothered about them being heard or whatever. I'm kind of like that too. I know my stuff wasn't successful, but I've written so many different songs about so many different things that basically I don't have the same... Um, I, I really, I, I write every day, but I don't have the same urgency where I want the world to hear this because at the end of the day, I kind of realized that's the other thing about age. There's a great article in The Guardian and I kind of agree with what he said. And he said he was 59 and he's coming here 60 and this is what he's learned. And what he's learned is that it doesn't make a blind bit of difference. He'll never be remembered. Doesn't, you know, it, the whole, his whole life is pointless. You know, it's, you know, people think too much about themselves and that's it. And I'm kind of like that now, you know? I just want to make some great art and that's it. And get on with it. It's interesting because like, I think like Elvis Costello and Bob Dylan both kind of went the same direction in the sense that the lyrics got longer. They started writing more of these more expansive um, and, and more power to them. They're not as interesting to me as the, as the other stuff. Um, and it would have been fun to have watched Shane McGowan, I think, get older as an as an artist who was still writing um it doesn't, yeah, doesn't yeah. appear that he is anymore i would have loved to have seen what would have happened to him how his lyrics would have aged um but you know you have all different kinds of examples but costello and dylan seem like they've gotten more expansive they they've sort of lost the economy of of a song it's not a criticism it's just more of an observation um i, I don't know is that is that the resistance shane that you feel oh, like i think you're the, i think you're totally right i mean i I will, part of it, I think, is because they're bigger than just being songwriters. I mean, they're just, I mean, Elvis Costello is, can be so entertaining now. You know, he can, I mean, his songwriting days are from the mid 70s, really. Do you know what I mean? When he was learning to, he, in that flat or when he was married and he was living in the flat and he used to write like you know, three or four songs a night. So mm. I suppose he's gone beyond that, well beyond that. He could write books now or something. And maybe right. the lyrics have got longer. They're sort of halfway. To, to be, you know, doing something like that. But I'm with you, I agree. I, to me, there's a certain economy in a song, you know, it's, you know, it doesn't have to be maybe three or four minutes, but it, there's something about the song structure and, and, and that whole thing that I like. I don't like, I've never liked polemic in songs. I've never liked, you know, something that's too political or too, you know, there's, there's, there is certain about, I mean, again, the road runner, the lyrics and that, you know, you know, driving faster miles an hour, you know what I mean? There's something about the, the, the way he's expressing himself that I really, I really like. And to me that, I mean, it's different with Joy Division, I suppose, but there is somewhat, somehow there's a similar thing. It might be a similar vision, but it mightn't be a similar vision, but there's, it's within the same structure. And I do like that structure. I really do. To me, it is the thing. Yeah, you want to be doing that. And I mean, I mean, the the the, 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 the Bob Dylan, Dylan song, the three minute one that he has, a, I want you, perfection, you know, and the and the the Elvis Costello song, another three minutes, you know, um, what's called watching the detectives. She's filing her nails while they're dragging the lake. I mean, it's just 
it's funny. It's cute. You know what I mean? It's, it's I don't want to yeah. go to Chelsea. I like, you know, so they, they could do it like that too. I mean, but also, I mean, Dylan has some great long songs as well. You know, uh, I, I really lost my way with Dylan after uh, Blonde on Blonde, you know, there was al- loads of albums came out, you know, that I just kind of, it kind of went over my head, unless Highway 61 was after that, I don't know, but, you know, and Elvis Costello again. Blood on the Tracks. Blood on the Tracks, of course, yeah. Yeah, you loved that album. I loved I, it, I, yeah. You used to like Desire as well. Mm-hmm. I, I did, Brian, yeah. I remember Brian Hennessy, he, when I, when, this is when we were about 18, he had a friend who was mad into it, and he, he kept trying to get me to get into Desire, and he gave me the album, and I listened to it, and I, when I when he asked me about it, I just kept talking about the music, <laughs> the guitars and all the music. And he went into a flame and he got really annoyed at me. He was saying, it's the lyrics, you idiot. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it, it tends for me to, I, I tend to come to the lyrics. I don't know. It's kind of strange. Sometimes it can be second. <laughs> you know, they don't. It, I, I get the feeling out of the lyrics before I actually understand exactly what the lyrics are but then in some songs it the per that that the, the, you know the way they're expressed the lyrics the, the short little things are, are what make it special for me you know what i mean um yeah but the the creative process you guys have cultivated then kind of makes sense right so david like you'll you'll come up with these lyrics and and then um you know shane you're almost like the architect right it's sort of like the the, the roles seem to be um your pocket seems to be a sort of like the architectural sonic choices right yeah i think i, I have to i try to think about that and I, I you know i start out what you just said and i think that's what you know it tends to be that way but then you know there's loads of songs which don't work out that way <laughs> see dave hasn't got the equipment to record stuff various things whereas i've kind of been doing that. i've always kind of interested in that dave is not so interested but then he can, he, he's got a little kind of boss recording thing and has a little keyboard stuff on it. So he can create a whole soundscape. So quite a lot of the songs are, you know, well, not quite a lot, but there's, there's, I don't know what percentage it would be, but there's a significant amount that Dave has actually structured the sound. I mean, I'm talking about the atmospherics and the whole thing behind the sound. He might, the drum beat, it might be a synth weird thing on top of it, you know? Like we've got a song far from home he sent me the basic kind of thing of that and and i did the lyrics on it you know what i mean so there, it, but yeah on on balance to me anyway the way i hear it dave will tend to have the phrase the thing that i recognize as kind of being songwriting you know what i mean whereas i'm kind of i feel a bit more labored with it you know whereas dave it kind of flows out of he will he will put the phrase together very quick if he's going to do it it'll just happen all on the go he can Earth moves like he did it all in one go. Actually, that's what's on the album is actually the first take, <laughs> and it's that's him actually, you know, coming up with the whole thing. And he, he would, I don't know exactly how he does it, but I assume he would have thought about it. He'd be thinking about it beforehand. He'd have it in his head, and then it just kind of all comes out. I, I can't really do that. I have to go back, and you know, edit and cut down and try to work out what I'm trying to say. I don't really know, um, but I can do that with with, with a guitar riff. You know, I can just kind of be listening to something and, and then just get a feeling that I want to do it. And then I just do it and it's kind of there. And, uh, you know, I might have to doctor it slightly or move it. But 
it, it kind of comes out more spontaneous, you know. So I, actually, I don't know what I'm doing sometimes, you know what I mean? That's when I like it the most. When I don't, I say, what the hell, what was that, you know? <laughs> and uh, I have to kind of learn it then to try and <laughs> work out what happened, you know? So I think, yeah, I think, you know, I think at the basis of it, that, 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 is, that is right. I'm kind of more interested as well in, you know, maybe this chord before this one, before the chorus creates this kind of tension and that you know even down to a little fill Dave is not really he, he's more spontaneous about it he's more natural about it if it works then he likes it it's not so planned you know, generally you know but sometimes he can be so we're always kind of, we kind of swap roles which is kind of interesting but yeah we I think basically I think that's basically but to me that's when it works the best Let's put it that way. I think you know that. Yeah, like some of the songs are coming about. He 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 might have a finished. He might have a verse and a chorus, and I will just play around with drums and bass and guitar until until so, a structure evolves. We've actually the, a lot of the new songs are kind of. There's quite a few good ones that we really like to have come out of that. You know. Yeah. It's 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 it, it's kind of a bit like fishing. You know you. <laughs> You get different riffs, different sounds. You try different melodies on it, you know. Um, this one, this one seems to be more—I don't know—kind of more upbeat or something, or more. Definitely, I yeah. don't know. More about love. <laughs> than, yeah, than that's, I'm, I'm noticing. Love that seems too. to be a big theme in the whole, in the in this in this one, you know. Yeah. Without well, being too sloppy actually, about it. <laughs> is that, that, is that a shocking? Is it? You seem surprised. <laughs> Well, I mean, I always, I mainly wrote about two things, love and death. So, you know, this one, we got kind of got rid of the death and let in the love. <laughs> yeah. So it is kind of like a, it's an album about love, really, so far. I mean, that, that could change.
just out of curiosity, proximity-wise, how far do you guys live from each other? Well, I'm in Kerry. And where are you, Shane? I'm in Offaly, Tullamore. So I'm in like the middle of Ireland and Dave is down one of the legs down the end. So we're probably about, a, I don't know, 100 miles or something. 100 an, miles. An hour yeah. and a bit, an hour and a travel, an hour and a half. Do you guys hang out in person? Does that ever happen? Or is that like, a, it's tricky? No. With... no, never. Really? No, it, yeah, so this is a bit mental. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is a bit mental. I'd say the last time I saw Shane in person, I could be wrong here, was probably about 11 years ago. What? So was it... Oh, I'd say so, yeah. Really? Yeah. 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 You guys got to hang out. That's, I think. <laughs> I think we should do. I think we should be sitting on the porch somewhere having a few beers and a smoke, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like old guys but the, do. But the interesting thing is, and again, I've heard David Byrne talking about this, writing. Let's just make it say writing by email. It's not quite like that, but let's say writing by email. There is a different pace and a different structure to the thing. So I can be quite overbearing sometimes, let's say. So if I was in the room and Dave might do something, I might hear it and I might go, oh, you know, we might, and then we might veer off down some different angle. But if he's in his house and he just does what he does and he sends it to me, there's a couple of days where I have to sort of digest it and I'm maybe messing with <laughs> it and trying with it. And then I can hear, I can hear something else maybe, you know, like it's not perfect. I mean, if you were writing, I suppose you're missing that spontaneity. Like so Occasionally now I'll be working on something and I'd be thinking, oh, I'll be good if I had Dave here. I could say, does my voice sound better if I sing it down here or up here? You know, that kind of thing. But I think on balance, it's very interesting way of working. You know, and as I said, David Byrne did say something similar. It forces you to be to have a different kind of response. You know, you can be more measured about it. You're not it's not just your immediate your immediate uh, feeling on it. Because you, you, if, if someone plays you something, you, you could be thinking of something else in your head. So you're not really listening to what they're doing. Mm. You're sort of trying to you're, you're trying to see, does it fit in with what you're doing? Let's say put it that way. Whereas if they've already done it, quite often, I, and I said it to Dave the other day by, by text, I, sometimes on some of the tracks, I would go, why did he do that? I don't understand. You know, there'd be a certain bit that I wouldn't work out. And later on, if an arrangement that I'd worked out, a different chord sequence, if, that, if I went like, ah, that's why he did that. <laughs> Yeah. Then I know, oh, okay, now, now I really feel like I'm onto something here because I feel that Dave was trying to express something. I didn't get it at the first go. But now that the chords have changed or the arrangement has moved, now there's space for that. And we've kind of, and, and I sort of feel like that's how I kind of, I, I kind of work like that. I think, okay, that means it's done, if you understand what I'm saying. So the bit that was sticking out before now actually has a home or else now really makes the statement now suddenly you know what i mean whereas before it was kind of an appendage it didn't really just hung out of the edge of the track now it's kind of integral to it in my head then i know okay now i feel we've arrived in the same place you know and, so, and now it's finished yeah because it seems to me like that the arrangement you guys have the geographical thing affords you a kind of editorial distance that you wouldn't have had or you wouldn't have if you're in the same room in that sort of that quick dynamic um, striking of matches, you can be more circumspect and and can, you can consider things yeah. the way that you wouldn't before. Yeah, because I mean the thing the thing about music is if if, if you if you write for a living, 
all you need is a pen and a paper and you can do it in your in your house now you can write songs in your house just by yourself in in a couple of hours but when you go to record them to get all the music together it usually costs loads of money to go into a recording studio so you don't have the time to try out loads of different arrangements and different sound effects and all this kind of stuff and then when you're in the studio with, with other people pe people get bored you know if you're there trying to make this machine work and that machine work so doing it the way we do it you can send off the initial idea for the track and then you don't expect to hear anything back for four five six days whereas the person might have spent hours on it and then it comes back as something kind of half formed and then you then Shane will make an idea for this arrangement and I'll say, yeah, maybe we could try this. And it's, it just seems to work easier, you know? And the other thing about it is, is that we're, the two of us are kind of thick skinned about what the other person says about the track, do you know, like we can both make ideas and say, I don't like that. I do like this, you know, like for instance, there's a song on the Marlon Sice album. Um, oh yeah. It's called in out. I, I sent, I sent Shane a version of that with about 16 different lines and I got it back with one line at the end. And, but it was brilliant. He kept in the line that meant the most. Like, I, I, so, you know, I, you can imagine a singer would kind of go, hang on a second, where's all the rest of the singing, you know? But it was just taken out and it made sense of the song and it became my favorite song. So therefore, or I could say something to Shane, like, I don't like that second line you're using on whatever. And he wouldn't go, oh, you know, what are you talking about? He, he'd actually think about it and, you know, and we come to an arrangement so that the, there isn't going to be any fights or, or stupidity about the, basically what we want to do is to make the best songs we can possibly make for ourselves initially. So Shane can go in his car and listen to them. <coughs> and unfortunately, I don't have a car with uh, electronics where I can listen to stuff back. So I just put it on a headphone and go for a walk around the country roads listening to it. And once I'm happy with that, you know, I'm, I'm kind of happy with it, you know. So there's a, there, is, there is compromise, but the compromise isn't too much, you know? It, 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 it's, it's not like, you know. Like, like no one's taking it personally. Exactly. Because exactly. You're, what, you're saying, you, what you said there about editorial, I think that's right. It's a bit like editing at a distance and it does create a different kind of synergy. It creates a different energy around what you're doing. And uh, I... I think that in a room together, a lot can be lost, especially within in a band situation from years ago. And now you can work out exactly what you're trying to do. And because you've got to send it to someone, you can't do two things. Well, you can, I, I still tend to do that sometimes, but you kind of boil it down, you know, and say, right, it's either this or it's that. And you try to move it to those points. Whereas in the room, if you're playing in the room years ago when I did that, you know, there's so many distractions, so many things coming through, so many different, and that can be great as well. But if you get into a hole, it's very hard to get out of it. There's a certain, I mean, I don't know if Dave remembers, but towards the end of a band, you, there's a very dead space that happens and trying to write becomes very, very difficult. You know, everything is boring, everything is jaded. And so yeah. this is writing at a distance like this in sort of installments. It's like tennis almost, you bat one guy and then it comes back again, you move back and forth. And you, and we tend to how we get around the stuff whereby there's a slight disagreement, let's say, or we, we're not sure what it is. We tend to just leave it. That's what that actually what happens. Oh. So we kind of, kind of get sidestepped for a while, you see. And it might come back again, but it gets sidestepped, 
and then we're moving on to the next thing and the next thing. So we're always doing stuff like that. And then sometimes we go back, we say, well, remember this, you know, and then by then there's enough of a gap that you can hear it fresh and you can sort of, you know, it's very, sometimes when you're, you're trying to get a song, you have a feeling and you can get lost, you know, you can, I don't know, it becomes encumbered in some kind of way and you just can't, you, you can't get the energy to hear what the next bit is going to be. Sometimes when you come back to it and you, you're sort of saying, well, you know, feck this, we'll just, this is, it's a lost cause. I'll just do, you know, I'll go mad. I do this sometimes anyway. And I'll just sort of deliberately play, let my head just play whatever. And somewhere in the middle of that, then I might hear something. I just go, Ooh, what was that? And, I, and then in trying to find what that is, Sometimes I find a little loop or a little something, a little guitar note or something that I can hang on to. And then that creates the stepping stone. And it's like, I suppose it's a bit like um, finding a different camera angle on a shot or something like that. And you're suddenly, mm. the whole thing switches around and now you're at the back of the house, you know, and you can go, ah, this is different, you know. And then when I send it to Dave, sometimes you can kind of key him off then to, with lyrics then or something because he can see the rest of the picture and he goes, all right, this is actually... This is what I'm, you know, there's something to work with now, you know, rather than it being very flat. And uh, there's nothing worse when you're trying to write a song and feeling like that, feeling like all your tricks are done, you know, all oh, the chord, there's no, you know. Yeah, so I love it, actually. I think it's great. <laughs> great way of writing. You guys have known each other since you were, is it 12 years old? How, how long have you known each other? Six, probably six, yeah. Six. Since you were six, um, and so that's the corner. yeah, and so and so that is it's incredible to have a lifelong friendship because there is a kind of ease that you get um, where creatively, personally, um, just through the friendship capital of <laughs> there's a lot of friendship <laughs> capital between you, and that's a valuable thing it's very american of me to want you guys to hang out in person <laughs> but i I understand, <laughs> I understand it but um is the process of working together it must be it must be much richer now than it was say when you were 18 um well i remember like it, it, it's fantastic it's fantastic now and to be quite honest like if we hadn't have kind of hooked up again maybe two or three years ago uh i was kind of coming near the end of it, of I, I would still be writing, but it would just be maybe I'd go in and do an acoustic record, you know. Um, but this is a lot more exciting. Like we were in a band called Amuse, and um, forgetting about the gigs, I remember we went down to this place in uh, Raffarnham where the Boontown Rats used to uh, used to rehearse. It was a record label, um, um, Mulligan Records, and. Uh, the two big pillars on the way in had the rats written, but we were in there, myself, Shane and Dave Clark, and we kind of learned how to be a band over the period of um, three months of the summer, going down nearly every second day to play. Or, and it was just, it was brilliant and exciting. And we made this tape that I'd love to hear even now. Uh, I remember one of the songs on it was called Pennies, and I took the bass line off it and used it for an Into Paradise song. But we, I don't know, it, it was just, it was the, the the energy and the creativity and you know basically the only musician really in the band was Dave Clark the drummer who could play guitar as well but uh but we, myself and Shane learned then how to make a noise like I loved playing the bass uh, and he just 
three heat is effects pedal flanger phaser an echo an echo plex or something and uh we came up with some really good stuff but we didn't have any words but we came up with some with some good melodies and uh yeah it was so it was, it was really exciting but this is really exciting as well like i mean like my head was nearly blown off me when i sent him the original version of earth moves and those guitars that he put on it i was just going oh my god and it was only a minute and a half and i was like jumping around the front room and going this is unbelievable why didn't you send me the three minutes like he said like <laughs> just in case you didn't like it i was going what the fuck are you joking me? <laughs> sounds amazing like it you know, is, uh... and, it, and it's kind of still like that like 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 we have a song at the moment i'll just call it any other town let's say for instance because i don't like the original name but it's a song that we i fell out of love with right maybe two years ago and it's going to be on this record now and um it's just for some reason the whole song has turned around. I, I don't know if it's Shane's guitars on it or if it's I've changed two lines on it, but it's it the song has, has kind of made sense and it goes in then with another four songs. So I, I, there's an excitement about this one, do you know? Um uh yeah, there's a big I have a big excitement about this one. Now it could take another year to finish it, but that's the fun part, do you know? I think the funny um, thing was see, we were working on these songs. And the last album was in the middle of that, those songs. There was a whole batch of songs we were working on. And we ended up working on the album songs just because, I don't know, the energy of it or whatever. We, maybe we got stuck on a couple of things, but they were a lot more heavier and just darker. The whole thing was just had a different feel. And we, then that's we realized, right, actually we just, let's just put this out now as it is. It was a bit short. I thought it was a bit short at the time. I was saying we need a bit more. But then I realized, no, he was right. We, we should just do this now. And I think that because of that, we jettisoned all of that. And now what we've got left is a whole lot of love songs. And not just love songs for people, but love songs for Dublin City and things like that. But um, I, I would think the energy, for me personally, the energy in terms of writing now compared to, it's very like the very, very start where I hadn't got a clue what I was doing. Then, you know, after we got signed and it became more of a job and I mean, you know, I, we were signed to Island Records and Chris Blackwell, who's a great guy, he produced our second album. We went down to Bahamas and he was a very, very interesting guy, you know, but he got in Dave Robinson from Stiff Records just as before our first album came out. And I went in with my man with the manager and we went, went in and he said to me, now, you know, don't mind what this guy says. We're going, you know, all this kind of thing. And uh, we went in and the minute Dave Robinson, he just said to me, he, he was telling me, because uh, I, I would play the guitar. We didn't have, uh, you know, I would, and I would, I would grab the microphone, leave the guitar and the bass and drums would be going. And he was shouting at me in this meeting, you know, red face. Have you any idea how crap that sounds? You're just standing there with your guitar banging off the microphone, standing as a bass and saying, <laughs> you just shouting, you know, what are you doing? And he was like, you know, and I suddenly realized, oh, okay, I hear what you're saying. <laughs> you know, and the manager was really annoyed at me because, you know, I wasn't supposed to do that. But this guy was talking English to me and I could understand what he was saying. I was saying, oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, that's terrible. I see what you mean. But uh so you, you learn and you become, you know, the mechanics of having, you know, so 
for me and my band, we that became the thing then. We need to be a good live band. And we did become a good live band. But I think that left, <laughs> we, we, you know, someone should have said to us, you also need to write songs. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had like, I may be remembering this incorrectly, but the sound, Teardrop Explodes, weren't they all on yeah. island? Uh, no, the sound, no, not, not, neither of those bands were, but island, now island was more, it's very strange kind of music. It, you know, it had the B-52s uh, on it, I think. Uh, he produced, Blackwell produced those bands. Uh, Didn't I have that band uh, that sang uh, Independence Day? We used to love them. They used to wear this band, Cops yeah, and Angels. They yeah, were produced yeah. by your man, the guy who sang with the girls, the video in the Bahamas. Remember, he, he produced an oh, album Palmer. by them, Robert yeah. Palmer. Right. He, well, Robert he Palmer... He, he, yeah, he was he was on Ireland, you know. Yeah, he he had a kind of a hodgepodge of kind of stuff. There wasn't really there wasn't really a sound. I mean, if there was a sound, it would have been reggae, really. You know. Yeah, he uh, loved reggae. Yeah, yeah. because he that's what he that's what he brought, that's what he came up doing, you know. That lollipop, you know, that's what his first hit in England was. So they didn't have, but I mean, those bands you mentioned, the sound. I mean, we loved the sound. You know, the band, the sound, the, the very first from the lion's mouth. I mean, it's just an amazing album. Dave, obviously, he, his albums were produced by, by, um, uh, Adrian, yeah, by Adrian. Yeah, who was, you know, a great guy. But I mean, yeah, the sound, the teardrop explodes. They're, to me, I, sometimes I think, am, am I just trying to, are we trying to just recreate that? <laughs> That kind of magic that was that we felt that we got off those bands because it did seem to me to be the period around that time, you know, uh, Comsat Angels. You know, I, I think I, I would take a certain joy in, in saying names like Comsat Angels to some people and they'd say, Who's that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> I think um, Julian Cope was on Island. That's where I, that's where I'm yeah, he uh, was. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. He, yeah, because he did that. After they broke up, he did the "World Shut Your Mouth," also. "World right. Shut Your Mouth," yeah, which isn't on the the track isn't on that album, and he just did that with a guy he met in a in a in a, in a tube station, and that's a fantastic album, "Colleague Hyber's Birthday," and the, I mean it's astounding, you know. Yeah, uh, and that's yeah, that's right. And then he did another one, "Fried" or something like that, and then he yeah, then he got signed, and he did "Trampoline" or something, and. Oh, he had that brilliant song uh, on that album with the guy from the Busker, uh, Elegant Chaos, wasn't it? Oh, yeah. Elegant great. Chaos. Yeah. yeah. You used to have that album, Shane. That was brilliant. Yeah. I, oh, yeah. I loved that album. That was... The other, the other album you used to have then was uh, Islas in Gaza. Oh, my God. Yeah, I loved that album. I, I yeah. listened to it a while back, about a year ago. And uh, it's called... Uh, I think it's called In Flux. Islas yeah. in Flux. There's a, it came with a, you got an album and there was a 12 inch with six tracks on it. So you got an album and a sort of a 12 inch thing. Uh, not quite a double album, but it was fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Uh, two kind of hospital guy, guy uh, hospital attendants making yeah. sort of music. Yeah. Yeah. You, I mean, you know, On Island and Into Paradise was some, you guys were both um, in the mix. And so I, I do think that. Um, it's interesting to be creating now and think like that experience that you had, um, it must be informing what you do. You must have learned something through that experience, right? I'm sure a lot of things that you learned, but 
in terms of craft and in terms of um, production and composition, I would imagine that um, those are important years. Yeah, I mean, for, for Into Paradise, I'd say the first couple of years were, but then after that, as Shane was saying, he said, there's nothing, uh, there's no, you know, it's, when a band's falling apart, like at, at coming near the end, the creativity seems to walk out of the room and leave you, you know? And uh, it was it was very draining, I have to say, for the end of Into Paradise. Like, it was like standing in rehearsal rooms, you know, just trying to make up some songs. And by the end of it, it was just, it was, you know, rehearsing to do shows where hardly anyone showed up. So somebody had to say, just let's call it a day, you know, and that was me. But it took years then to even, um, it, it, the songwriting uh, fairy just left the room, you know, never, I thought never to come back. And then I started jamming with Shane, uh, Dave Clark and Paul McQuillan. But before that, it was me, Shane and Dave Clark for maybe a year, you know, doing bits and pieces on a four track. And then the Supernaut record ended up coming out after all that, which which I still really rate. I, I, I really like it. And then, um, <clears throat> but you kind of go into a wilderness, you know, after it. It's like, um, it's very hard yeah, to I, explain. I, I feel that I, I mean, I definitely go back to those periods because, I mean, deliberately, and it was a definite thing, listening to, I had quite a good, rela I had, for some reason, I had quite a good relationship with all the producers that I worked with. So I had a very good, like Hannah is no, you know, Martin Hannah is known as sort of fighting against the bands, and he would be, you know, he, he's not. It's it's well known. He, you know, he 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 had his favorite kind of uh, vices that he liked to do, and he would ring me sometimes. We were staying in a bed and breakfast, and he'd ring me and send me, "Leave those band behind. You come over here now. You know, we're having a party. You do. You know, I'd have to go and get him and bring him in and whatever." And so. I had a very strong kind of bond with the guy. I worked in, you know, when the band left, I was working with him for a while. And I, I, I you were asking like about trying to learn from that. I definitely tried to mind that. I definitely, I spent a while trying to remember what, what he was doing, what he was telling me. Um, even the jokes. I mean, I, I told Dave before, he sometimes used to stop the tape, you know, and he, and he, he joked that if it made if the echoes were interesting, he'd say, "That's now we know it's mixed." You know, you, he was always messing like that. But now, a lot of the stuff that I've kind of half forgotten makes sense. I don't know if I'm explaining this well, but I actually now know, like this from little a bit, like from working with like a technique I've ripped off him definitely. That I, I mean, I don't remember him exactly doing it. But I remembered certain things and eventually I worked through. And so what I do now is I'll play the guitar through an echo, but I'll take off the initial sound. So you'll hit it eh, and then you'll hear the sound. Eh, eh, eh. Eh, eh, eh. So now you don't know where you are. Right. And when he did this to me, I was like, I thought he was an absolute idiot. I was going, what are you doing? I can't. How can I play in time? And he just kept doing and doing. But eventually I worked out a way. But I wasn't able to play the way I could play. You know, I had to sort of just feel it. You know, I'd have to just play and then hope that it would come in time, you know, with the track. And it created a different way of playing. And so when I started doing that, and I don't know exactly know why I did. I think I was just trying to make a sound that was interesting the way he did. That in the process, then I suddenly realized, oh, 
he's forcing me to play much more intuitively than say just running up a scale let's say or something which i couldn't do anyway but you know running along do 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 i couldn't do that anymore and what i practiced and learned in the rehearsal room i couldn't do that anymore i had to guess where the track was going to play <laughs> then i'd have to play and then I might get it wrong. So now I have to redo, I have to make do something now or it's all going to go wrong. <laughs> what am I going to do? And I would just do something. And then suddenly you're playing in a different way. And so, yes, it's very informative. Certainly for me, I, I mean, I really do treasure those times working with someone like that, that was so creative in terms of what they did and, and the sounds that they made. Even though some of the sounds I, you know, I don't, I, you know, I remember thinking a lot of it was a bit tinny. I didn't like, you know, some elements of it with to do with the drum sound and things like that. But I remember him showing me, like he he would spend a whole day setting up one side of the of the of the desk. Okay, so he would set up, say, his reverb. He had these weird bell kind of it was bell is like a it's like a harmonizer kind of thing. And it creates different tones and stuff. And then you'd have some big, massive other reverby sort of echoey thing and his AMS machine. And then he would feed one into the other into the other during the session. And he, he, he was quite open about it. So that at some point he wouldn't know what was happening. He wouldn't really know that when he fed a bit of the snare into the reverb, it was now going to go into this, into this, into, into a train of different sort of... Uh, and it was a certain kind of magic, if you like, and he would stand, but he had these little echo machine things and he would put in numbers. And there was always, you know, he was trying to pretend, if you like, that he knew what he was doing. But I don't believe now that he did. I think what he was really doing was just a bit like throwing, you know, tarot cards or something, just throwing it out there to try and make something happen. And then when it did, his gift was to know it and go, ah, there it is. And to tie it in to what I was saying earlier about trying to cut out the noise, I think like a proper producer, like someone like Hannett, especially if you listen to the first Joy Division album, it's so cut down. Like there isn't loads of different sounds. Like I have, when I'm messing with sounds, I have loads of different ones. He doesn't. Like he just has, you know, there's just the lift <laughs> at the start and it's recorded really well. You know, you can hear the clank and there's no other, he's not trying to, you know, he's, he knows what he's doing. There's a definite feel of the music with the lift. It creates a certain scape, soundscape. And so I think, I think what I'm trying to do at this time now is to move more towards that, move to more towards trying to make a st bigger statement, do you understand? Rather than painting with a brush and saying, wow, that's kind of an interesting, you know, it reminds me of some weird, you know, generally some kind of futuristic city type of thing that's in my head generally is what I, I'm kind of coming around to, you know, it's not like, I don't want to hear a band playing in a bar, you know, I don't want to feel like I'm walking into a bar and they're about to play music, I don't want that, I want it to hear like, where the hell did that sound come from kind of thing, so it's not enough now that it, it just has echoes of that, now I would like to pare it down, I would like to try and, you know, move, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm really um, heavily influenced by that i also worked with jimmy miller who did those stones tracks oh, yeah. you know and uh you know he 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 was i mean he was old school and there was no pretense of what hannah was doing but it was totally about the feel i mean that's all he really cared about 
he didn't give a shit really for for anything else if it felt good to him you know and it had to have in order to feel good it had to have a groove it had to have a certain kind of you know and there's almost like a magic about it in other words you could be doing the take and get distracted or something and it's like no now do it again and then and then suddenly when it's right that's it it's now right and if there's an error in it sorry we have to live with that because it has something you know so how do you how do you decide that you know how do you work out that it's now done you know because you can definitely take a squeeze all the juice out of something make it perfect so all, every note is now in the right place but it just doesn't sound good anymore right you know? right yeah oh, no. And that can we know for sure. Like the, one of the most interesting sounding bands of the last, I don't know, 10 years was that those first two singles by uh, MGMT. And the, the distortion on those records is unbelievable. Like, let's pretend. I actually thought it was my system and I tried in something else. And that's it's distorted, but it's absolutely brilliant, exciting, brilliant, immediate. You know, lyrics are fantastic. Melodies, just a brilliant, brilliant record. So I don't like things perfect you know where it's i don't mind fleetwood mac being perfect because they're amazing singers and you know stevie nicks could sing the telephone book like you know but uh but for a rock band or you know the excitement is in the mistakes it's in the noises you know like sometimes when shane sends me back stuff i think i can hear um records being mixed like whoop, whoop, little sounds in it mm -hmm. that kind of make the song flow and he never finds it. Anytime I say to him, do you know this here in one minute, 22 seconds, the thing that goes, woo, and he, he comes but back, actually, no, there is, there that's isn't. something I would have learned from Hannah, that, <laughs> that if, there's, if, if I play something and I get that feeling that there's something else playing, I say, what is that? Then I think, oh, that's, <laughs> that's interesting. You know? yeah. Now we've got to take, because there's some element of it, the way the notes are crossing over each other. And you know, so if I send it to Dave, and that's the part about interesting having known someone it's not just because we didn't even know i mean i've known from when i'm six but i mean we didn't spend all the time we didn't go we went to school we didn't hang out together at school we didn't hang out really and then after the band the first band kind of broke up we didn't hang out at all for years but we would generally meet let's say this happened quite a lot we'd meet at my brothers who was in the area and we would both be around in his house and the funny thing was it didn't take any time to get to the same talking points. I mean, I could not see him in 10 years. We start talking and we would talk about some band or some record or I would play him something and he plays me something and we straight back into that space. So that was always something that interesting, that particular common space. So now if I have a, a sound or some track, I'm wondering, and I send it to him. And I think this is kind of why it works. I kind of trust that if he gets it, then it's got, you know what I'm saying? So I see I, what you mean, yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah, because now there's a second pair of ears here that aren't me, that aren't listening in and no, whatever, you know? And I think it kind of works the same for him in a kind of return kind of way, you know? Well, it's a beautiful creative partnership. Um, and it's also a rare one because of your history together. It does inform um, those talking points that you're, that you're talking about. Um, and, and, I, and I do think that, that the symbiosis makes the work flow much more um much more freely um what is the what is the sort of um the plan right now like like you guys are cooking up something new 
Shane has a record out. Like in other words, like what is the what is the um the release schedule that you have in mind for the album? Well, I, I said to Shane, like there, there is no release schedule for this one because I think mm-hmm. there's about we have six, we have six, six kind of that that are that are so close to being finished in in their in what I mean by finish is that the whole arrangement is finished, and then we have time then to make them finished, if you know what I mean. And they all seem to be about a certain the album seems to have a certain theme to it. Um, so we just take as much time as possible. And I'm sure we veer off the road a couple of times and come back in. But this time, I don't think of any real, um, I, I don't mind about time schedules or anything like that. Do you know, uh, the last one I definitely wanted to get out at the time because it was just, it was a bit darker. Um, it was, I just needed it to be finished, do you know. But this one here, uh, like I got mixes back last week. I said they were mind-blowingly good, but then already I found little things that I want to that you know that I, I wouldn't do you know what I mean? Yeah. But lyrically yeah. and sonically and everything, it's all it's all still there. And it's kind of good that we're still uh, we're getting this enjoyment after all these years, you know. Like I think it's kind of sad. I listened to your show, um, you did an interview with a, a hooky on your podcast a couple of months back, and it was a really good interview. And it's kind of sad to see them. Uh, kind of a bit apart him and the rest of the guys from new order do you know uh like it's it's like um it's hard to explain i I always thought they would have been one of those bands that would kind of stick all the way through do you know take a couple of years out and whatever but whatever's happened you know um so it's good that myself and shane are still doing it well know? nothing nothing can screw up a relationship like money <laughs> is, is that what it was and, and do you- <laughs> And nearly getting money as well. Nearly right. getting, that's what happened to Joy Division and New Order. It took so long. You know, I think you're dead right on that. I think that's, I think that's a very astute point, that the, the, the tensions were so powerful, you know. They, they had to keep it together for so long that when, you know, that and then all the stuff, the mad stuff happened with, with, with Factory Records and all that. So I think, it's, I think Dave is dead right too. I always thought they did. They, there's something about that band that I liked that I assigned to the fact that they were friends and sort of yeah. some haphazard kind of thing. So yeah, I was a little bit shocked. But the interesting thing about this is I kind of feel slightly, we're always saying to myself and Dave seem to move around the center of things and take up different positions. So last time I wanted to you know, spend a bit more time, he thought, no, let's cut it out. And then I realized, no, he's dead right. That's what we need to do. And now on this album, I don't want it to go on too long because I, I because we're, I'm, because we're trying to, because they're songs, that's the thing, I think it's different this time. So they're, so in that sense, it feels bigger to us because the songs, there's, you know, the idea is to try and make me, you know, like a proper album, if you like, with 10 songs on it. So I, I think there's a danger of overstating what we're trying to do, becoming too, you know, tears for flares, you know, Big album. What's that big album? Tears for Fears did. You know, you sort oh, of song, songs from the big chair. Yeah, that thing. You know, yeah. where, where, where it becomes just. I mean, we're not probably never. You know, well, I mean, you know, they're, they're so musical that we would never get close to anything like that. But I just mean it just gets a bit overblown or something like that. So I want to keep the certain energy there and and strip it back. But I I think it's because there's songs. There's definite songs. There's definite lyrics. There's a chorus. There's bits on it. Um, and so I would, I, I, I'm hoping, I mean, we, we've done, you know, 
January, you know, we've done them roughly one a year. So I would yeah. hope that I think we would do another one within that, but that we would be ready for it this time. The other ones we weren't ready for. So I want to be ready in terms of, you know, how I'm going to, I suppose I'm starting to think about, oh, maybe we should, <laughs> you know, how we get this to maybe play in radio here in Ireland. And so I can't help my head going that way a little bit. If there is a little bit of that there, you know, uh, but I like that, that you said, you know, in terms of architecture, you know, there's a bit more of that kind of sort of donkey work end of things. And yeah, I, I, I don't mind. I kind of feel like that part of my brain can do something like that. It can, it is interested, in, you know, whereas Dave is definitely more into, uh, you know, and I am into it too, like into the art of it, you know, but there's a kind of a, a dichotomy. There's like a split between, and uh, because half the fun of it is trying to push it as well you know yeah. see when you come up with something interesting that that does that you know well yeah. it seems like for for david it seems like for you the 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 joy is in the creativity the joy is in the producing of the album sort of like getting it getting it recorded getting it made bringing it into the world and anything else after that as we say in america is gravy right like anything else after that is a yeah. bonus um, yeah. But this one does sound um, like it, it has a, a, an accessibility, perhaps, that you're, you're getting at that maybe other ones didn't, that maybe it is more radio ready. Maybe there, there is an audience out there that's wider than you realize. Um, and I think, that'd be, I think that'd be cool. I mean, why not? It's not, it's not like exactly. you compromise. Yeah, I mean, when, when I hear you saying it back like that, I kind of go, yeah, no, there probably isn't really a radio audience. But I like, I like trying to move into that space. If you understand yeah. me. But that's kind of what it is. But I don't, I suppose it'll be our version of that, if you want to put it that way. You know? Yeah, our exactly. <laughs> it'll be right. our version of it. Which is so probably <laughs> right. That's perfect. That's exactly. I mean, whether you have a summer banger on there or not is not really the point. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. That's 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 exactly that uh that sums it up perfectly, really, you know. But um, maybe there will be. We 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 let that's for everyone else to decide. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you guys come back on the show, because I I think we should do this again. Um, I hope you'll have hung out in person, Dave. What if you drive the half hour and Shane drives the half hour? You guys kind of meet in the middle. No, we're I, no. I'm I, hopefully by the end of this year, Alex, the two of us will meet up for a pint somewhere. Anyway, definitely. Yeah. All right, you know? we should we should do the, the recording from there. Um, exactly. Because <laughs> it might have to be more than a pint. You haven't seen each other in so long. Um, yeah. But I, I, I love talking to you guys. And I, and I love the fact that there's such an ease in knowing each other as long as you have. And, um, and, and hopefully this is a conversation we can just continue to have. Because I think it's just, to me, it's just, I could do this all day. And I just think it's really interesting to capture this. And, and I hope you guys will come back on and do it again. Oh, definitely. Well, yeah, your, your show is fantastic, sure. I've been yeah. listening to a lot of it over the last two years, you know, well, thank some you, great man. interviews, some great interviews on it, you know, and the Cahill Cochran one, it was just so sad. Mm. You know, I listened to it there a couple of weeks ago, you know, it was, um, it was fantastic and kind of sad. Like I, I still, you know, I, I just, I've only heard that song now two weeks ago, that Bong Gong dancer and the piano version on the album and the voice sounds amazing. Yeah. Uh, I, I, Garrett did a great job with the, with the, oh, yeah with the vocals you know um ah, it's just it's just a beautiful track 
and it, was it is beautiful so and, I, and i appreciate you listening to the show and i'm glad that i'm glad that you guys are are now uh, a part of it i think it's cool brilliant yeah, listen really thanks, thanks so much Alex. thank you my pleasure, gentlemen. Good to meet both of you. Well, David, we've met before, but we didn't see each other in person, so it's nice to nice to see you. And uh, and let's do it again. That's great. Listen, cheers, Alex. Look after yourself. those guys the best what a great conversation they're so much fun i'm definitely bringing them back and i'm not really inclined to disagree with graham parker but these guys they're over 30 and they're making masterpieces check the music out david long the number four dot bandcamp.com david long four dot bandcamp.com yeah i repeated it twice but you know what it's worth repeating 20 times just to make sure you get there the music is that good Visit me at alexgreenonline.com or follow me on Twitter. Well, actually, it's not like you can only do one of these things. You can do them all. alexgreenonline.com does not preclude you from following me on Twitter at Ember's Editor or following me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast or emailing me, editor, at stereoembersmagazine.com. Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate, and review and tell all your friends. Don't forget to check out Bombshell Radio at bombshellradio.com. Find out what makes our radio station tick. Let's close the show with a longer listen to Age of Finding Stars by David Long and Shane O'Neill. Enjoy it, and thank you as always for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. On a journey behind the sky out by the western isles Through the waves and swept for miles Searching for me I can see the way life goes Wild, wretched, and gross In the hand of the loved one I search for you There's a side of you That no one there's a side of me Only you can see 